everyone. I'm Jensine Bard, and welcome to Testimony, where truth is told, lives are changed, and hope is given. Revelation 12:11 tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. A testimony of your story for His glory. Heartbreaking, horrific, unimaginable. These are just some of the words that come to mind when reading Because They Hate, the groundbreaking New York Times bestseller that rocked the world and the airwaves at its release in 2006. Its subsequent follow-up, They Must Be Stopped, delves even further into the heinous master plan waged by Islamic extremists against the people they hate, namely Christians and Jews, Israel and the U.S., anyone that refuses to bow to the teachings of the Quran, Islam, Sharia law, and Allah. How and why does this happen? And what can be done to stop this evil regime bent on our utter destruction? Here to answer this and more in my two-part exclusive is founder and president of actforamerica.org, terrorism expert and author of her latest must-read, They Must Be Stopped. Ladies and gentlemen, would you welcome to testimony a great honor indeed, Bridget Gabriel. Bridget, welcome to testimony. Oh, thank you, Jensine. I'm delighted to be with you. Well, it's great to have you here, Bridget. We met at a private event recently where you explained the horrors of life in war-torn Lebanon where you were born, your picture-perfect childhood now lost, and the realized inevitability of it happening here in the United States of America, your now adopted homeland. So for part one of our two-part conversation, would you briefly take our listeners back, Bridget, to that day and time, to your own horrific journey, escape, and now incredible fight against terrorism wherever it is found? Bridget Gabriel, please tell us that story. Well, I was born and raised in Lebanon, which used to be the only majority Christian country in the Middle East. We were open-minded, we were fair, we were tolerant, we were multicultural. We opened our borders to those in the surrounding Arabic countries who wanted to come and share our westernization because we wanted to share with them the westernization we created in the Middle East. They brought their children to study in our society because we had built the best universities in the Middle East. Lebanon became known as Paris of the Middle East, the banking capital of the Middle East. That's the Lebanon that I was born into. Unfortunately, by the time I was a young child, the majority of people in Lebanon were Muslims. The Christians had become the minority. And once the Muslims became the majority, they declared war on the Christians, and they started massacring the Christians. My 9-11 happened to me in 1975 in southern Lebanon when radical Islamists blew up my home, bringing it down, burying me under the rubble wounded. I ended up in a hospital for two and a half months. And as I laid in a hospital bed, hooked up to IVs in both arms, going from one surgery to another, I would look into my father's eyes and I would ask my parents, why did they do this to us? And my father would tell me, because we are Christians, the Muslims consider us infidels and they want to kill us. 
So I learned since I was a 10-year-old little girl that I am wanted dead simply because I was born into the Christian faith and lived in a Christian town. I ended up leaving the hospital and coming back home, but my home was no longer the home I left. I ended up living in a bomb shelter in an 8-by-10 room underground without electricity, without water, and very little food. To get some food, my mother and I would crawl under the bombs, and we would dig out different dandelions and different vegetation that grew around our bomb shelter because it was the only greenery we had to eat. Uh, to get some water, we would crawl to a nearby spring to get some water. I lived in a town called Marjayoun, Valley of Springs. Mm-hmm. We had seven springs in my hometown. And we would crawl to this nearby spring, and every time before we left our bomb shelter, we would say a prayer, and we would say our last goodbyes, because we did not know if we're going to come back alive or dead just to get a drink of water. And what used to take a five-minute walk would take us sometimes hours crawling in a ditch trying to get to, to, to the spring. And when we would get there, my mother had to use her stocking on top of the gallon of water, on the mouth of the gallon that, that, that we were filling to catch all the rocks and all the dirt and all the stuff so we can drink the water. And this became my existence, and that's where I lived in this bomb shelter from the age of 10 till the age of 17, robbed of my youth. You described, quote, a garden of Eden. You grew up around family and wonderful food. Your father was well-respected in the community. He retired and built a restaurant, and everyone knew his name. You come from a wealthy background with prestige, and you had everything a little girl could want. And then one day, a bomb goes off. Your world is completely shattered. Your parents are elderly. Your mother had you, as I recount in your book, at age 54. They had wanted a child for 20 years. So this is a miracle in and of itself. It was. I was a miracle in my parents' lives. You know, my mother prayed for 22 years to have a child, and they couldn't have a child. And actually, I I opened my book discussing how my mother went to the doctor thinking she got cancer. I mean, a woman her age, 54 years old, her stomach is getting harder and bigger, and she thought, oh, my Lord, I've got some bad disease. She goes to the doctor, they they run blood tests, and he tells her, you're going to have a baby in two months. Um, And so I was born into that world of being adored and worshipped by my parents and to being raised with such love, with such attention, with such comfort. I mean, I had a chauffeur to drive me to school. We had uh, maids in the home. And, but it's amazing how our life can turn upside down, Jensine, overnight. And people think it can't happen here in America. That's over there. And for someone like me who comes from that world, who was raised in a comfortable home, my parents were so blessed in their lives. And to see how our life, our life was turned upside down, my father when the bombing of our home lost everything he ever had. My father, two days before the bombing, had gone to the banks in Beirut and withdrew all his money in banknotes, trying to flee to America. He thought he'll bring the family to America until the war kind of slows down in Lebanon. He only left $10,000 in the bank in case we go back to Lebanon for a visit, for a vacation. 
He took the money in banknotes. Two days later, our life will be changed. Mm-hmm. And the bombings of my home, my father's money, was burned to ashes. We went from living so comfortably into becoming broke and living in a bomb shelter. Uh, my father became deaf. Um, he was an older man. When this happened to my father, you know, my father was, what, 72 years old. And um, it changed our lives. It changed our lives. And people here don't realize we focus on building money, we focus on building wealth, we focus on building businesses, and we don't pay attention to national security. But without national security, nothing else matters because you can lose it all and die a broken death if you don't have security for you and your children. Exactly, and you talk about that in detail in your book. But for our remaining time here today, take our listeners, Bridget, to that bunker, that, quote, hellhole for seven years. People need to know what you went through and what the persecuted church today is going through. I was horrified in reading what Islamic terrorists are doing to human beings. It was horrifying after the bombing of my home and us moving into the bomb shelter. My father would say, all the world powers are going to wake up. America is going to come save the Christians. Australia, Canada, France, Britain, they're going to come save the Christians. And nobody really understood our plights. And as the Islamists, the Palestinians, and the Muslims were growing in Lebanon and massacring the Christians city after city, uh, they surrounded a city called the Moor, which was one of the largest Christian cities in Lebanon. They hid in churches thinking they're not going to come to the churches and kill us because this is a house of worship. The Muslims would walk in and massacre people. Uh, I discuss in my book how they would walk into a bomb shelter. They would find a mother and a baby hiding uh, with a father in a bomb shelter. They would take the baby, tie one leg of the baby to the mother and another one to the father, and pull the parents apart, splitting the child in half. They would walk into our churches. They would urinate and defecate on the altar using the Bible as toilet paper and then torch our churches. They would literally crucify Christian men. This was back in 1976 in Lebanon. Hang Christian men on crosses, cut a cross with a knife on their chest, and pour honey so they can be bitten by bees as they died slowly roasting in the sun crucified. They committed monstrosities that was seldom reported in the Western media because all the media was located in West Beirut, the area that the Islamists occupied and Yasser Arafat occupied, which, by the way, it's still now the base for Hezbollah in Lebanon. This is the area that Israel bombed in 2006 when they were bombing Lebanon, when they were bombing Beirut. My own story, when we were in the bomb shelter, after three years of living such a miserable, miserable existence, I remember one night one of our Christian militia stopped by and he said, Brigitte, I just want to tell you that we heard a lot of chatter on the radio and we heard that they're going to come attack us tonight. And he said, I don't think we're going to last because we lost so many men. We are not going to be able to defend ourselves. He said, if I don't see you tomorrow, I wish you a merciful death. And he gives me a hug and he leaves. And I remember, Jensen, dressing in my Easter dress, my Sunday best, because I wanted to look pretty when I am dead, knowing that when they come to slaughter me, there would be no one to bury me. And I remember crying, sobbing, as my mother combed my long black hair and tied the white ribbon that matched the flowers in my dress. As I begged her, I don't want to die. I'm only 13 years old. I don't want to die. Please do something. 
And there was nothing my mother could say to me. We are in God's hands. Don't worry. Jesus is going to protect us. I remember sitting in the bomb shelter. My parents and I we just held each other's hands and started praying. And my father opened the Bible and he started reading from Psalms. I shall walk into the valley of death and fear no evil, for thou art with me. And my father would just continue praying and praying. And my parents said to me, when they come to slaughter us tonight, we'll just create a distraction. You just run away, run towards the Israeli border, and don't look back. You see, we lived five kilometers from the Israeli borders, which is about two and a half miles. And my parents knew that if we go to the border and beg for help, the Jews are not going to slaughter us because we had more shared values with them. But thank God I did not have to make that difficult decision that night. Because that's the night Israel came in physically into Lebanon and established the security zone and set up army bases and artillery bases around the hills surrounding our town to protect us from the Islamist assault who want to come in and slaughter us. And that's how we continued on living for another five years of our lives until 1982. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to terrorism expert, author, and president of Act for America, Bridget Gabriel. You can learn more about Bridget's work and get involved by going to actforamerica.org and get her books, Because They Hate and They Must Be Stopped. Bridget, thank you for taking precious time to share just a little of your courageous and miraculous story of overcoming the horrors of war and childhood lost and because you have and have acted you are now one of terrorism's greatest threats we look forward to hearing much much more next week god bless you thank you very much testimony is a global broadcast made possible by the generous contributions of our valued partners at Jensine bard ministries and you our listening audience Together, we are reaching souls for Christ, one testimony at a time. If you would like information on how you can support this broadcast with your tax-deductible gift, please visit us at jensinebard.com. That's one word, J-E-N-S-I-N-E-B-A-R-D.com. And join the conversation at our Facebook page, Testimony with Jensine Bard. Thank you for listening. And please join us again for Testimony.